from the heart of London with your host, Danny Ashok. Here is the Young Squire Podcast. Yep. Oh, boy. Got to do a stretch. Got to do a stretch nowadays before I start recording. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 31 of the Young Squire Podcast. It's a beautiful Beautiful sunny day here in London. It's uh, Saturday, May the fifth, I think. And uh, yeah, I was just had a bit of time to spare. I was about to do some some exercise, some cardio. I was about to jump on the treadmill, but uh, I just wanted to get on and say hello first. I hope you guys are doing well. I've been jumping on the treadmill quite a bit lately, maybe three or four times a week. It's not even in an effort to try and lose weight. It's just um, just for my own endurance just to be better at cardio, uh, cardio activities. And um, yeah, I, just, I suppose become internally healthy rather than externally, although externally is obviously good too. I hope you guys are looking after yourselves because, you know, health is, is um, it's important. The older I get, the more I wish I'd looked after myself more when I was younger. You know, for years I relied upon my my metabolism just to, to get me through life, to help keep me looking slim. And it worked, you know, for years, people would, would see me eat an insane amount of food on a regular basis, and I would never really put on weight, and they would question it. They would sit there in wonder, in amazement. I was a freak of nature. I had the, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan of metabolisms, the Muhammad Ali of metabolisms. That's what I had. But as the years have gone by, you know, my... Um, I feel like my metabolism has slowed down considerably to the point where I'm not even sure if it even exists at all anymore. You know, metabolism is essentially when what the um, whatever you eat or drink is converted into energy, right? And that's the problem right there. I have zero energy in my life, which is why I think it's just packed up and left. Maybe my metabolism just thought to itself, we tried, we were there for you, and you rewarded us with epic amounts of saturated fat, we're done. It's over. Pack your bags, let's leave. But I've been jumping on the treadmill more and more lately. Aside from this week, this week I didn't do it as much, and I'll tell you why. My niece and nephew are really into skipping, right? They'll just be skipping, skipping all the time, right? And they're pretty good at it. They're getting better and better. And I thought to myself, you kids, let me show you how it's done. And I went and showed them how it's done. Now, the thing is, look, the older you get, stretching is very important. It's very important. And I've realized that before I do any physical activity, I should really stretch beforehand. Because otherwise, I'm just, uh, I'm just in the danger zone. And that's exactly where I found myself. I found myself in the danger zone because I'd, I was just skipping away, skipping away furiously. Ah! And... Uh, after I finished skipping, my shins were in agony. Oh my god, it was painful. To the point where I started asking my niece and nephew, who are 10 and 6, I started asking them, do you guys have, do you guys have pains in your shins or is it just me? <laughs> and uh, my niece said, it's, it might be you because you're old. And she's right, I am. But I've been trying to do more cardio recently. Oh, and then the other day, this was the other incident within the danger zone, the other day, I, uh, I was on the treadmill and I was just doing a bit of running and I had, I had actually stretched before, before this particular workout, but um, about 20 minutes in, 
I got a little ping, a little, a little lightning bolt went through my left leg, through my calf, and it was, uh, it was, cr it was a cramp, but it was just a, a small cramp, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't really painful, but it was painful, but not really painful. And I thought to myself, okay, should I just stop running? I was like, you know what? No, I'm gonna soldier on. I'm gonna soldier on. But then I realized, you know, I'm not a soldier. You know, there's a reason why I'm not in, you know, Afghanistan fighting. I'm not a soldier. I'm just an actor. But I just carried on running anyway, regardless of any pain. I was just, ah, ah, just on the treadmill, ah, screaming out in agony as I was running. And I did an extra 15 minutes of running in pain and then I got off the treadmill and I could barely walk and for the next few days I was I was limping everywhere it looked like I was trying to do a gangster walk I wasn't I was just in pain so I've been avoiding the treadmill since those two incidents and uh, but now I, I'm feeling good I've been waiting for my my leg to kind of heal up and it feels like it has healed up completely now so I'm going to jump on the treadmill as soon as I finish recording here but I suppose in some ways I am trying to lose weight as well I mean it's the workouts are mainly for endurance, I suppose, but I suppose in some ways I want to try and tone up. I mean, it's not like I've put on an extraordinary amount of weight. I haven't. I've certainly put on some weight. And um, I think I mentioned on this podcast before, for the last few months, I've pretty much given up processed sugar as much as I can. I mean, there's been occasional dips you know, occasional dips, a little bite of ice cream, maybe, fruit juice on the odd occasion. But I've given up desserts, I've given up sugar in tea and coffee, I've given up coffee completely, in fact, for the last five months. And um, I was speaking to Producer K about this, you remember Producer K? He's still around, he's still lurking around in the shadows. But we spoke about how hard it is to give up sugar completely unless you're, you're making your meals from scratch. Yeah, if you look at bread, for example, bread has all these hidden sugars when you buy it from Sainsbury's or whatever shop you're you're shopping at, and unless you're making your own bread from scratch and not using sugar, you're gonna have bread that has sugar in there. I should be grateful for small mercies, really. I mean, when I was living in New York, I remember buying a loaf of bread and taking it home, as opposed to eating it right there and then, and uh, I decided to, to make some toast the next morning, as you do, and I kid you not, I thought I may have accidentally bought some cake and toasted that, like a birthday cake or something. That's how sweet this bread was. The next time I bought some bread out there, I had to do an extensive search. I had to try and find the loaf with the least amount of sugar. And even that, even that had a crazy amount of sugar in there. You can't get away from it out in the States. And so, and so I'm grateful. I am grateful that it's not as bad here in the UK, but there's still a bunch of sugar in every food item that companies make. And they put sugar in the things they make because they know that sugar is addictive. So even when you can't taste it blatantly and you think you're eating something savory, our minds are being tricked whilst eating it, thinking, whoa, this, this tastes really good. And they're thinking that because of the sugar. And hmm, I want to buy it again. I don't drink soft drinks, largely for that reason. I gave up soft drinks maybe about five years ago, probably longer than that. And on the odd occasion where I might be presented with a can of Coke or Lilt or a ginger beer or something like that, at most I might have maybe two or three sips. And that's me done. That's me done. But I gave up soft drinks. One, because I would drink it and just feel a little bit gross afterwards. It would leave this, this disgusting feeling on my teeth, which I hated. And two, I would never, I would never feel like a soft drink has actually quenched my thirst. 
I would never drink it and think, hmm, I don't feel thirsty now. In fact, I would feel more thirsty, if anything. I would just be full up with, with Coca-Cola gas, burping all over the place. And thirdly, the sugar content. The sugar content is sickening to me. On average, these, these soft drinks have about seven teaspoons of sugar per can. Seven. Imagine if you were offered a cup of tea and they asked you, how many sugars would you like? And you said, seven, please. The tea maker, the, the maker of the teas would look at you like you were a lunatic. It's an awful amount of sugar. I used to work with, uh, with a human once who would uh, always drink a, a can of Pepsi in the morning before 9 a.m. And I would judge her completely to her face. I would judge her and I would say to her, that is disgusting, you horrible creature. And she would reply, I need to have it or I can't function. And it wasn't even said in like a, a, an ironic way as a joke. It was said in deadly seriousness. She had the jitters while saying it, her hands all shaking, your head twitching, all of that stuff, like an addict. <laughs> Let me tell you if, you, if you, if there's anything that you feel like you need to ingest with seven teaspoons of sugar before before, you know, midday. That's a problem. It's like those guys who would drink a, a six pack of beer before midday and be like, no, 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 I just, I just need a little something to get me through the day. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I mean, you guys should all just bundle up together and go to some sort of mass anonymous session or something. So yeah, I've been trying to do a bit more cardio just to get that heart pumping, you know? Just be me on the treadmill. First time I did it, first time I did it, honest to God, I thought I was gonna, I was gonna faint. I did. It wasn't as bad as doing Insanity for the first time. Remember Insanity? My lord. First time I tried that, I couldn't even get through the warm-up. The warm-up was killing me. I was doing the warm-up thinking, hold on, are you telling me this isn't the workout? It was literally killing me. I was there thinking that I was about to die. No joke. And I thought, oh, oh, this is, this is it. This is, this is the end. I've had a good run and this is the end of my life. Dying and the last words I hear are Sean T telling me to keep using my core. You can do it. Use your core. Imagine that if that's how you die. Just hearing the faint whisper of Sean T in your ears. I did Insanity for the first time um, a few years back and I found myself lying on the floor, collapsed, exhausted, flat out on the floor, thinking I was about to die, taking in my last breaths, life flashing before my eyes, and then I turned my head and I saw my bed. And all I could think to myself was, why did I collapse on the floor? The bed was right there. I mean, that's what insanity does to you. It makes you go insane. You know, at least it's not false advertising. It literally makes you go crazy. You're not thinking straight. But the truth was I persevered with insanity. And the body is a remarkable thing. Your body adapts to it. It gets better with it. Same with the running that I've been doing. You know, my body is getting used to it. I'm doing it a few times a week, mixing up the, the speed settings and everything so things stay fresh. So, you know, I don't want to brag, but could be in the Olympics soon, just saying. And there's a part of me, there's a part of me that wishes that I had embraced sports more when I was younger. Like all sports. I played football when I was younger. I was pretty good in defense, but I never really fully embraced other sports. And I'll tell you why. I had to wear glasses, right? I got told... I had to wear glasses when I was about 11 or 12. My eyesight was pretty dreadful. But I really, I really did not want to wear glasses at school. I didn't want to hide the money shot. You know, the face that keeps dreams alive. I didn't want to ruin it with glasses, so I just wouldn't wear them. And this, this when you're playing sports, was never particularly handy. I remember playing rounders 
which uh, for those of you that don't know is a little bit like baseball, I guess. I'd be playing rounders and, you know, for the life of me, I could not see the ball coming at me to hit it, to hit it in time. And for a game like rounders, you need good hand-to-eye coordination, but if you don't have eyes that work, you're basically left with, with, with just hand coordination, just just hands. Speaking of hands, I remember, <laughs> I remember this one time where in school, we were playing this game of football in PE, and the two captains of the team, I think they had some sort of rivalry or some sort of bet or something going on. And the captain of my team, I want to say his name was Shazad, but it sounds too much like a genie. But let's just call him Shazad. Um, he was this tall, fat kid. He, he decided to put me in goal. Now, I was an okay defender, but I was not a goalkeeper by any means. And when you're a defender, when you're a defender with bad eyesight, you can still make out where the ball is. You can run to the ball and defend by attacking, essentially. But if you're placed in goal, you're pretty much resigned to that one area of the pitch. And if a shot is coming uh, at you from a distance and you can't see the damn ball, it's a recipe for disaster, is what it is. So cut to about 20 minutes in, I'd let in about six goals. My future career as a goalkeeper was really in jeopardy, I thought to myself. And I remember this this tall fat kid, Shazad. At one point, he was so frustrated, <laughs> he was so frustrated that I'd let in so many goals that he came in, he came up to me yelling, yelling at me, use your fucking hands. He was angry. He was very angry. And I felt like saying to him, there's no need for such foul language, young man. But I figured it probably wasn't the right time. But that moment, that moment always stuck out to me for some reason. Isn't it weird how uh, you remember the silliest of things that happened at school or wherever in your life? Anyway, I remember years later, and I'm, I'm talking a good eight to nine years later, I'm about to head into the train station and just on the main road, a uh, outside of the station, a car had broken down, causing a, a lot of chaos on the main road. And the uh, the driver of this car was at the back trying to push this car to the side. And I, I, I had to do a double take and I noticed it was Shazad. It was him from all those years ago. And I swear to God, I had to restrain myself so much because all I wanted to do was just run up to him whilst he was pushing his car and yell at him, use your fucking hands, and then just, just run off laughing into the train station. <laughs> just run off. And the only reason why I restrained myself at the time was because I thought, I thought to myself, well, one, what if he doesn't remember me? And two, even if he does remember me, what if he doesn't remember the incident? in PE. He'll just think I'm some crazy imbecile, some, some nut job running around taunting people whose cars have broken down. So I left it alone. It's one of the biggest regrets I've had in my life. I've been to see a few films recently. I mean, I'm watching films all the time, but uh, quite recently I watched two films in one day, which I don't think I've ever done before in the cinema. I did A, a Quiet Place and Ready Player One. And A Quiet Place was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's, um, it is very refreshing to see a film that's, uh, that's original, it's not a sequel, it's not a reboot, it's not based on a comic book, and it's actually really good. I mean, go watch it, support these kind of films, we need more of them to be made. And be warned, as the title suggests, it is a quiet movie, very little dialogue, 
So if you choose to go in with snacks, chances are the whole cinema will hate you. I mean, you could hear a pin drop in the cinema that I was in. I was lucky. Uh, this was the, the, the one time where I didn't have enough time to get popcorn. You know, my friend smuggled some in, but we essentially finished that before the movie even started. And there was a lady next to me. She bought a, a big bag of popcorn from the cinema. And about 15 minutes into the movie, she realized it was pointless. It was a losing battle. She just placed the popcorn down, decided to fight again another day. You could hear a pin drop in that cinema. And it was packed as well. It was an awesome film. Strong performances. From, uh, from the entire cast. And you know, when a film has such little uh, amounts of dialogue, it really forces you as a viewer to, to just pay attention to everything just in case you miss a small detail. It really gives you, um, it was like a different experience for me watching this film. And what I loved about the film was that there was hardly any exposition in there. They weren't spoon feeding the audience every bit of information they thought you needed. They trusted that the audience have the, um, the intelligence to just figure things out. Love that. Cinema etiquette is it's a great thing to have. I think I have pretty good cinema etiquette for the most part. I mean, and that popcorn woman that I just mentioned, that, that's good cinema etiquette. You know, she realized that eating her popcorn in such a, a silent screening would be annoying for others. So she just thought, screw it. I'll have the popcorn later. I'll save it for my dinner. It was nice of her. You know, some people are not quite so considerate. I went to see Ready Player One a couple of hours after A Quiet Place. Ready Player One is the complete opposite of A Quiet Place. It was it was the non-Quiet Place. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was amazing, but for the most part, I enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. It had its flaws. And my friend and I, we were sat in the middle row. Sorry, we were sat in the middle of a row at the, uh, the super screen in Cineworld. Huge screen, huge, huge screen, huge room. But the cinema was kind of empty for this one. There were so many rows that were fully empty, which was surprising to me. You know, the film had just come out at that point. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this random dude comes and sits next to me. He was on his own. Now, I know plenty of people that go to the cinema on their own. They're fine with that. Props to you, okay? Props to you. I've tried it. I've hated it, but that's more on me. That's more on me than anything else. I'm deeply narcissistic and egotistical, and I feel like when I go to the cinema on my own, people are instantly judging me. And also, I like to have someone there. You know, I like to have someone there because I like to talk about the film afterwards. Just generally, I, I hate to do things on my own anyway, right, because I'm completely insecure, but I hate going to the cinema on my own. I've been to the theater solo. I actually didn't mind that for some reason, but I just can't seem to enjoy it when I'm doing it with a with a film. But maybe it's just down to my one bad experience. You know, the one and only time I went to the cinema on my own was way back when, it was 2011, I was doing a play in Bath and I really wanted to see the last Harry Potter movie. And nobody in the play that I was doing wanted to go see it. So I thought, okay, you know what? It's been out for ages. Let me just go on my own. There's not gonna be anybody there. I've, I even got a seat right at the back, thinking nobody would judge me there. I'll be the one overseeing everything, judging others. I got there and the entire cinema was packed, ram packed. And then I took that lonely walk, that lonely walk of shame all the way up to the last row, people judging me instantly. Why is this grown man watching Harry Potter on his own? They started throwing popcorn at me. Okay, I'm kidding, none of that happened. But yeah, maybe nobody cared. 
but in my paranoid mind, everybody cared. They were judging me. Ruined the, the Harry Potter experience for me, that did. But anyway, Ready Player One. This random dude comes and sits next to me. Now, I, I've realised, one thing I've realised is that, that the people that go to the cinema on their own would do one of, of, of three things. Three or maybe four. No, three things. You have the, the, the strange types that will sit right at the front. Row A. Row AA. Right at the front. Because they clearly don't want to be judged. They're willing to sacrifice their, uh, their, their neck alignment to avoid the judgment. Because the entire film, they're just watching it with their necks craned up, straining it. I don't understand those people. Like, if you're going to go to the cinema, if you're going to pay for a ticket or whatever, don't do it half-assed. Yeah, you can't be half pregnant with these things. Sit in the main section, okay? But that's one type. That's one type of uh, solo cinema goer. I call them the row Ayers, because they like to sit right in the front section. Then you have the second type, and these are the, the people that will sit either in the, the side seats of the main selection, or at the end of a row in the middle section of the main section, if that makes sense. These are the, these are the I don't want to be a nuisance group. You know, they want to watch the movie, they want to watch it in peace, they want to look after their necks, but they figure, look, I'm just on my own, I'll sit out of the way. You know, these are considerate people, they are. Then you have the third type, which is what this random dude falls into. And this is a, this is a new type of cinema goer, solo cinema goer. They've evolved over the years, like the, uh, like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. This time, they're smarter. They're the type that is coming to the cinema on their own, but they want to give off the illusion that they are not alone. So they will purposely, some might say maliciously, book seats that they know are next to a few people and they'll sit right beside them. So it appears on the face of it like they are not alone. Because this random dude, this random dude could have sat anywhere in the cinema, right? It was, it was practically empty. And he could have booked tickets on any of the other rows that allowed him to be sat in the middle of said row. But instead, he chose to sit next to me because then that gives off the illusion that he is not a loner. I call these types the David Blaines because they're creating magic with this illusion of theirs. And randomly, randomly, there's always the issue of when someone sits next to you that you don't know, you think, where do I put my drink? Do I put it on my right side? Do I put it on my left side? Who has the priority to the armrest that you're sharing with this stranger? It's one of life's mysteries. Anyway, fine. This random uh, David Blaine guy is sat next to me for Ready Player One. Fine. Not an issue. Okay? He could have sat anywhere, but look, it's not an issue. The whole cinema was empty, but look, it's not an issue. Except he made it into an issue. Firstly, this guy loved the movie. Okay? He was having a whale of a time in the cinema. A hooting and a hollering. I mean, he was laughing more than the entire cinema combined at this film. But fine, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, I'm not, I'm not Scrooge, I'm not the Grinch, I'm okay with people enjoying a film, that's nice. But then he starts talking. And at one point, and this isn't really a spoiler, but two of the characters are in a romantic clinch, possibly about to kiss. It's a will they, won't they kind of moment. I'm watching it, I'm waiting to see myself whether they will or they won't. When suddenly, I hear this guy on my right hand side saying, Yeah, go on. And I'm there thinking, shut up, you pervert. And it was a creepy, yeah, go on, yeah. I mean, Ready Player One, for, Ready Player One, for the most part, takes part in this, uh, this virtual computer-type world, okay? The characters in this uh, particular will-they-won't-they moment were CGI characters, 
like characters from a video game. And for some reason, that made his comment even more creepier. It's like if you're watching Lion King. If you're watching Lion King and Simba and Nala are about to kiss, if someone was behind you saying, Oh yeah, go on Simba. Mm, you'd probably call the police. So I had that first of all. And then the next thing, so in the movie there's this, this, this whole sequence in the plot where the characters are trying to solve riddles, right? Now this might be a spoiler if you're going to watch the films, just so you know. I'm about to tell you what the riddle was and I'm going to tell you what the answer was as well. So in this riddle, and I'm paraphrasing, it was a, it was, um, God, it was a question about a creation hated by its creator. Now bear in mind that Ready Player One has plenty of references almost entirely from the 80s and 90s. So you would think that the answer would be from either one of those two decades, right? A creation hated by its creator. The main character says it again to himself, a creation hated by its creator. And seconds before they reveal the answer on screen, David Blaine next to me says, Frankenstein. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just confused. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm perplexed, is what I was. I'm there thinking, who are you speaking to? You're not with anyone. Who are you trying to impress? This isn't, this isn't who wants to be a millionaire. This isn't the bloody chase for you to be shouting out answers. This isn't some, some immersive experience where you get to partake in the film. Frankenstein. Oh my God. And he was cocky. Oh, cocky McGee. And then they revealed the answer. It was The Shining because Stephen King hated the, the Stanley Kubrick movie version of his novel. So not only was this guy shouting out the answers, he was shouting out the wrong answers. Oh, I felt like looking at him. I felt, I felt like looking at him when they said The Shining and just giving him a little smirk. <laughs> Idiot. Speaking of idiots, oh, I had a terrible audition recently. Oh boy, I mean, I mean I, I've, had, I've had some terrible auditions over the years, but this one? Oh boy. Yeah, this one was special. It really was. It may be in my uh, my top 10 worst auditions of all time. I had an audition for a film. It was done by Universal, right? But it was going to be one of those um one of those films that went straight to streaming. I read the script. Meh, nothing special. But the part was decent. I figured okay, it'll be fun to do filming in Bulgaria for six weeks, great, I thought to myself. And this character that I went in for maybe had about six, seven pages worth of dialogue, right? Or screen time at least, which isn't bad for a supporting part. So went in for the first audition, casting director, mad as a hatter, but she loved my first audition. She said she wants me in for the recalls in a, in a couple of weeks to meet the producer and the director. Fantastic, I thought. So a few weeks later, I went in and I had that recall audition in a building here in London where a lot of auditions take place. I don't want to mention the name, but many actors will know which, uh, which building I'm talking about. And you'll realize why I don't want to mention the name by the end of the story. Recall audition went really well. I was very happy with it. Any actors listening will know that feeling. You know, when you have an audition and you know you've done a great job acting wise, to the point of, of being aware that even if you don't get the part, you know there was nothing more you could have done in that audition room. You gave it everything you could, and if you if you don't get the part, it may just be down to the stupidest of reasons. You know, like the like the producer not liking your hair or your face or your voice. You know, things things that can't be helped. And I gave a great audition. 
I could just feel it. I went out, everyone seemed happy. The next day, my agent tells me they want to see me again. So that first recall, the, the audition I just had was on a Monday. So my agent calls me on the Tuesday saying they want to see me in the same location on Thursday. And I saw the email that the casting director had sent saying it was the exact same scenes as before, just do the same thing. So I'm there thinking, okay, geez, how many more times do they need to see me? But whatever, fine. So on that day, on that, uh, on that Thursday, I was filming something else outside. It was raining throughout the day. It was a long day. I was miserable. Finished filming, headed back to this, uh, this building to do the, the second recall for this film. And on the way there, I was on the bus and I was just trying to refresh my memory with, uh, with my lines from these, these eight pages of, um, of scenes for this film. Got to the building, I was ushered in immediately to audition, cool. Now because I had been filming all day, I wasn't feeling quite as confident with the lines for this recall. So I asked them, look, is there any chance I could just get the um, pages for this character? Casting assistant says, sure. She gave me one page. I said, no, no, this, this is wrong. There, there are these other pages too. She said, no, I think that's the right page. I asked the director, he said, yeah, that's the right page. And I looked at it and there was no mention of the character that I, I had auditioned for initially. And it took me a few seconds before I realized, hold on, and I asked him this, hold on, are you seeing me for a different character? And the director said, yeah, you, you didn't know? And I said, no, because obviously I was told it was the exact same scenes as before. Casting director, this uh, batty old prehistoric woman, who was the one that told me that it was the exact same scenes as before, realized it was her mistake, but instead of owning up, she butts in and says, oh, that's so strange that you didn't know. And I'm there thinking, yeah, it is, you senile old bat. It's your fucking fault. Director then said to me, oh, you know, we loved what you did the other day. We didn't think you were right for the part, but I loved your energy. So I uh, wanted to call you back in for this character. It's a smaller part, but it is memorable because it's the first character that gets killed by the monster. Great, I'm thinking. Token brown guy gets killed first. Lovely. He then tells me it's four lines. So I had gone from this character with, with eight pages to a guy with just four lines. Now, if I'm being honest, if after auditioning for them twice for the bigger part, if I had known they wanted to see me for this smaller character, I probably would have just refused and just told them, look, either offer me the smaller part or don't give me anything rather than bringing me in just to read four lines after I've done eight pages twice for you. Now, what would have been nice, seeing as though this, this old trout of a casting director didn't mention the new scenes, what would have been nice was them to have given me a couple of minutes just to go through the new lines, see what the scene was all about. But they did not give me that courtesy. On top of that, two of these four lines were on one page, and the other two lines, which would have been on a second page, they couldn't find. They, they couldn't find the page. So they just asked me to try and remember it. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll try and remember it. And usually this would be an easy task, but I've got to be honest with you, I was feeling quite flustered because of all of the confusion with which part I was reading for, with what this scene was. I felt very unprepared because I hadn't read this particular scene and they hadn't given me time to read it. So they told me, look, this scene involves my character saying a couple of lines, then a couple of more, and then out of nowhere, the, the monster in this movie drags this character from behind, kills him whilst he's being dragged off screaming. And director tells me to drag myself off to the other side of the room, to the wall. So I did the first take, did the lines, but the, the two lines I was asked to remember, I completely forgot them. 
I paraphrased the shit out of those two lines and then dragged myself off to the side against the wall, screaming. Director says, look, that was, that was great. Now let's try it again with the, with the right lines. I said, yeah, sure, let's try. Take two, did the same thing. This time only got one line wrong, so I'm clearly improving. Hold myself off, screaming, slam my back into the wall. Director says again, that was much better. You only got one line wrong. Let's do it one more time. Let's nail these lines. I said, yeah, let's nail it. Third and final take, I nailed it. I got all the lines right. I hurled myself off screaming, slammed my back into the wall. Except this time, this time it wasn't just the lines that I nailed. As I was slamming myself against the wall, my elbow, my elbow hit the wall, which was made from plasterboard or whatever. And the next thing I know, all I hear is this crashing sound. I broke the wall. In this audition room, I broke the wall. And it wasn't even some small, tiny little hole. It wasn't a, a small dent. It was a big hole. About two feet, two feet long, one foot wide. And my elbow was still lodged in the hole. Still lodged in the hole. And I looked at the hole, and I looked back at the room. Director, producer, two casting assistants, and this, this crazy casting director, all in shock. All in shock. I didn't know what to do. I just looked at them. <laughs> I just looked at them. And I looked back at the wall. And I looked back at them. And I said, Oh. oh I, I think that was me, guys. I think I did that. <laughs> oh, God. Suffice to say, I didn't get the part. Maybe they should have given it to me, you know, out of sympathy, if anything, for what I put myself through in that audition room. And as I was leaving, as I was leaving, I could hear the old casting director, I could hear her raising her voice to the producer or director that they're going to have to pay for the wall. It was like Trump with the Mexicans. It was an awful audition. But, you know, you live and you learn not to break walls in audition rooms, and it makes for a good story. Before I go, some of you may know that I uh, I do another podcast called Talking Trends, where I look at certain videos that are trending on YouTube. We were doing pretty decent numbers for that. And uh, for the last few weeks, I've been trying to get SoundCloud, which is where I host the site, to allow me to have uh, multiple RSS feeds. This might be getting a bit too technical now, but to have multiple RSS feeds on one premium account, because I don't want to have to pay for two separate premium accounts. But uh, SoundCloud said, no. No. The end. Uh, they said, no, they will. Um, they have no plans to, to incorporate that into their premium accounts just yet. So now I'm, I'm kind of on the hunt for new podcast hosts that may allow that. Um, and uh, being approached by one particular service provider to join them. So looking into that now. But there is uh, also a big possibility that will move that I'll move the Talking Trend episodes to this feed and just maybe do them here as part of the main podcast when I see a bunch of videos that, that I feel like I want to talk about. So uh, so stay tuned for that. There may be some changes coming up. Who knows? One last thing before I go. I watched uh, Avengers Infinity War a few days back. Uh, loved it. Loved it. Really enjoyed it. And yeah, I think, I think for it to give screen time for so many characters and do it in a way that was satisfying, that was easy to follow. It's no easy task, but they did it. And there's no spoilers um, in this podcast about the movie, maybe in a future episode, but go watch the film. It is the perfect cinema movie. And I just feel like 
for a franchise that has been consistently good for a decade now, it would be it would be awesome for this to break as many records as possible. I'll be back soon with more from the young squire. Until then, thank you for listening. And as the great Mr. Feeney once said, do good. Yeah, buddy.